Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Basin Binge, a very exciting episode at the start of this Halloween binge that I am doing. I've been very excited to get to this and to be able to talk about The Nightmare Before Christmas, mainly to figure this movie out for myself, answer some questions that I've had. So I actually brought on a new guest. His name is Ali. He's from Iran. He was great to talk to. I'm really glad that he was able to join me. The sad thing is, is that when we were recording, obviously, we had to record digitally. We're nowhere near each other. The software that I was using, I was new to, and I made a very noob mistake. And the recording for my audio is not that great. I've done my best to save it, so it's not horrible. It's definitely listening to. It's just mediocre. doesn't sound as good as it normally would. But that's enough of an introduction. Let's get into the actual episode. Please be patient with the poor sound quality, but uh, hopefully it's it's up to snuff. Anyway, on to the actual episode. So Ali is here to join me. Hopefully I in, uh, introduce your name right. I should have asked you that beforehand, but go ahead and introduce yourself properly. Well, uh, you pronounced it correctly. It's Ali, um, and my last name is Hamse, which I know is hard for non uh, Middle Eastern people to pronounce. <laughs> I'm a writer, director, slash film, in, uh, film student from Iran. And well, just I, I live in movies, basically. <laughs> yes, I, I do as well. So I'm excited. Yeah. So like Ali said, he's from Iran. He actually messaged me wanting to be on the show um, through a service for podcasts to join, which you can as well. Uh, you can send me an email for that. But he reached out to me and we I wanted to get him on the show and I was trying to work through the schedule and he mentioned that he really liked musicals and I had some things planned out that I just wouldn't have worked for him to be able to join with the busyness of it so I was kind of looking ahead you know how can I bring in Ali I want to I want to bring him in and uh trying to figure out a way to fit in a musical and then it was Halloween and I was like you know what The Nightmare Before Christmas is a movie that I need help figuring out and it's a musical, and and I have some ideas about the musical side of it. So you were like the perfect person <laughs> to have on the show. So I'm excited that it really lined up that way. Um, so I'm, well, I'm excited to get into it. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> um, of course. I, as you mentioned, musicals are like a whole world that I'm. I just love so much of it. And I, I, I'm glad I can talk about this one in particular. I uh, have to g- give my hand away very soon, but I, I actually love this movie and I thought about it quite a lot during the years I've seen it, ever since I was a kid. Well, I'm very, very excited to pick your brain about it. Um, before we do get into the first segment, I do want to give you a chance because you're so gracious mm-hmm. to be here. I think it's like, 6 30 in the morning for you or something like that when we were planning it um so i want to give you a chance to, to plug anything you want to mention anywhere where people can find you of course all the links to anything he mentions i will put in the show notes but feel free to mention anything you'd like well uh, i do have a youtube channel called ak88 studios and uh, it's the first and last name of me the guy who runs the channel and 88 is the year I made my email and it's not 1988 it's 1388 Iranian calendar is different <laughs> and uh, you can watch uh, the some of the stuff I do there mostly reviews and analysis videos and uh, 
Uh, aside from that, I do have a podcast called The Last Thoughts of a Busy Mind. Uh, we are, I'm in the fourth season of it. It comes out every Friday at whatever time I record it. I just, it's unedited and it's basically me talking about what is on my mind, what happened in the week and life in general. Um, and yeah, these, these two are the main ones that I think uh i i'd love to hear more people uh give me feedback on <laughs> bet mgm has an unreal deal for sports fans in virginia turn five dollars into 150 dollars instantly when you place your first wager at bet mgm simply download the bet mgm app and sign up using code champion 150 then Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Well, those things will both be linked. I I am curious. Your podcast, is it in English or is it in a different language? Oh no, it's in English. Um, I weirdly enough, I speak more comfortably in English than I do in Persian. But yeah, I'm. I think I'm too Westernized. <laughs> it's all those movies. It's all those movies. I am curious it's, though. So, thirteen eighty eight. What year is that? You know, traditionally um, to the rest of the world. Well, currently we are in the year 1400, so it would be 12 years ago. It would be 2000 and, uh, uh, I think 11 or 12. I'm not, I think, okay. uh, no, 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 12 years ago. I'm not very good at math. It would be 2009. <laughs> yeah. So and, yeah. Is it uh, still the same traditional 12 month year that goes from oh, January yeah, yeah, to December? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's the exact same as the uh, Christian calendar, but the difference is we don't put the beginning of it at the birth of Christ. We put it, and ours is different from uh, the rest of the Middle Eastern countries who use another calendar. We put it at the pilgrimage of the Islamic prophet from one city to another. I, I don't remember which city to which city. But we put it at the at that. But the rest is the same. And actually, a Persian calendar, which is Hejriya Shamsi, which means uh, sun pilgrimage, uh, is the same as the Christian calendar to the extent that our days actually coincide with yours. Like, it doesn't change because the Arabic calendar, which is the moon pilgrimage, Hejriya Qamari, uh, it it's not because it has I think ten days short of the regular calendar. That is, I had you know what you you said that, and as soon as I answered asked the question, I knew oh because our calendar is based off uh, the birth of Christ. <laughs> Duh, you know that would make sense that, that those non heavily Christian areas. But I, yeah, that's something that 
I just never would have like considered is a thing. You know, like today is uh, October 15th, 2021. And I just like assumed that that's the same for everybody else. But that I am. It's eye opening, exciting. Yeah. So, well, actually, for us, it's October 16th because we're. Oh, yeah. <laughs> even, even more confusing. Yeah. Um, actually, another just fun tidbit if you are interested in that uh, before the Islamic Revolution of 1979, the Shah of Iran wanted the Iranian calendar to be set at the beginning of the Persian uh, Empire. Which would make us make our calendar start at two uh, two thousand and uh, no no uh, twenty five hundred around that uh, age in nineteen seventies. So it's a, it's oh, a wow. whole different thing. I just wanted. I thought it would be fun to mention that. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's so interesting. Yeah, you know, like it's so straightforward, but totally's like <laughs> blowing my mind right now. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm very excited to talk about uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas, particularly with the reaction that you had to it that you just kind of mentioned as we introduced it. So we will get into our first segment here, which is Two Cents. Uh, Two Cents, if you're new to The Basement Binge, is uh, two minutes of uninterrupted time, uh, completely spoiler-free to kind of give our knee-jerk reaction to the film. Uh, Because I do have a guest here. There is a legitimate two-minute timer. Normally, when it's just me recording the episode, I get into a rambling, and it's like 10 minutes. But where there's a guest, I actually have a timer. So I will go first, uh, and then we'll pass it over to Ali. So the the movie for me was really interesting to plan for the podcast and for the episodes because it's, it's a movie that I had watched once before when I was younger. But it was more of a, something that I was aware of more than it was a movie that I watched, you know, it, it, I don't know if this is true everywhere, but here, at least where I'm from, Jack Skellington is his own like brand. He's his own fashion symbol. People in my high school, uh, anything that you could put his face on, they found a way to put it on. And it's almost like that was their sole fashion accessory was his face. And so there was not so much the movie, but just like the idea around The Nightmare Before Christmas uh, was everywhere. So it was interesting to watch because it's not like, in my head, it wasn't. I wasn't watching it because the story was super interesting. It, it, you know, this isn't a, an iconic movie because everybody talks about the story or because of the animation or anything. Like they talk about it more of like the production design almost. So it was interesting to go back and, of course, enjoy the stop motion. Uh, listeners of the Basin Binge know that I love stop motion, so of course those highlights are there. But even that, it, it wasn't really what I was paying attention to. I was paying attention to the the Halloweenness of it, the gothicness of it. And it's interesting, especially as a t- Tim Burton movie, to just see, and, and in the research I did for the episode, how that really kind of is what it just is. And, and like, that's so great that it is such, uh, such, what am I trying to say? That it, that that's what it is to such an extreme. And then, you know, it's not trying to be something more than that, at least in my observation of it. I, and I'm kind of the wrong person to do this. I, I don't have anything wrong with Halloween. I have nothing against it, but I wouldn't say that that, is like a particular holiday or event that I'm really heavily interested in. My wife's mother, on the other hand, she loves that stuff. Her house is totally gothic and it's really cool design. She has in her living room, the entire living room is designed around this big wood paneled wall that's black and purple with this like, uh, you know, empty tree with like crows sitting in it. Like, it's really cool. Uh, She has tons of Halloween decorations up right now. A bunch of Nightmare Before Christmas ones for, for Christmas. 
She has a Christmas tree that is literally a Jack Skellington tree with the night. So like this, this idea of gothicness and Halloween is very something that is a part of my life. Um, but just isn't like my thing. And so it was interesting to watch it. And it, while I can totally appreciate it, it is not at all my thing, but I love, uh, for it. I love the movie for its idiosyncrasies that it really just is. It is what it is, uh, to use a really silly phrase. But I think I went over two minutes, so I will turn it over to you, Ali. Well, uh, before I start, I just want to say a few of the things you mentioned, uh, I, I hope we'll get to down the line, including Tim Burton's involvement, which for, I think, people who don't know, he neither wrote, nor direct, nor produced the movie. <laughs> he was just the guy behind it. Yeah, I, I am excited to talk about that. I found that yeah. interesting when researching it. Uh, but for my two minutes, just knee-jerk reaction, I have to mention that I watched the movie when I was a very little, around six or seven years old. And at the time, I didn't understand English. I didn't know what was Halloween or what was Christmas, obviously, because we, did, we don't have those holidays. And uh, so for me, it was just, all of those weird visuals and the music, of course. So that is the first thing I think of when I think of The Nightmare Before Christmas. But uh, for, for this podcast, I rewatched it. And uh, I, I, it's a movie that I rewatch constantly, so it didn't cut me off guard. But I was trying to be more uh, analytical of it. And I realized that, as you mentioned, uh, it's very... Uh, simple, but that simplicity is what what is working in it. Um, the characters are very simple, but that allows you to find a connection with them. And on top of that, there is a the very iconic visual that really cements the movie. Uh, for more of that, I, it, it will get into the spoilers, so I will not say... Uh, May, uh, I will not say more now. I'll keep it for later. But uh, just the new Jake reaction, I think it's still as good as the first time I saw it. Well, I the more and more you talk about it, I'm the better and better of a guest you are for this episode. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that's the end of the two sets here. Um, I, it, to continue in the segment, before we continue on, uh, to rummage for the rotten. I want to ask Ali some questions. Like I said, I have so many questions about this movie. Uh, the first one, as someone like you just mentioned, doesn't really have these holidays. Would you say that this is a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie? <laughs> well, to be honest, uh, I've had many sleepless nights when I thought about this and the Die Hard <laughs> and thought, are they really Christmas or Halloween? I think it's Halloween because um, for me, Christmas movies, and I know this is a very simplistic view of it, uh, it's a wonderful life, home alone, movies that have a message around uh, kindness and togetherness. The Nightmare Before Christmas doesn't have that message. It has just be, uh, be grateful for your job, man. <laughs> <laughs> don't, right. don't try to don't try to steal other people's things. And 
I think of it as a more Halloween movie, even to the fact that Christmas Town in it is more Halloween esque than Christmassy. Yeah, great answer. I, it was interesting because I've always kind of just thought, like, are you kidding me? People don't have uh, they don't have uh, Santa Claus's face on their jackets. They have Jack Skellington. This is definitely a Halloween movie. But I was watching it. And my wife came in the room. She's like, "What are you doing? This is a Christmas movie." It's like, no, it's not. Look at it. This is this is the most Halloween movie there is. So yes. I'm glad I'm glad we're on the same side there. Um, so th- this next question here, we're gonna get more into with the spoilers later with Live Up, but a, a brief spoiler-free answer, if that is even oh. possible to give. Why do you think this movie has such a loyal following? Like, ask anyone to name. A Halloween movie, they'll say The Nightmare Before Christmas. I guarantee you, within the first three. Uh, and I would guess that yeah. one out of five of those people would talk about how it's like their favorite, how they love it. Uh, yeah, so why do you think it is so loved? Well, uh, I think, uh, like many, I, the same reaction that it gets is a reaction that many Disney movies get, many Disney animated movies get, when you can ask people like, what is the movie you go back to? Many of them will probably pick stuff from their childhood that they have a lot of good memories with. And The Nightmare Before Christmas, because of its simplicity and because of its uh, very iconic visuals, is something that I think, as I said, as a six-year-old kid, I didn't understand what they were even saying. But I felt a connection to it because... The expressions were so vivid and the visuals were so vivid and the music was so good. So it sort of cements itself into your brain. And when you get older and actually understand the story, you realize the fact that it's such a simple story makes it more accessible to even the the youngest of childs. Like you get what these characters are going to, even though I'm sure many of them don't know probably what a job is and what is the burnout you feel after a job. But they understand the need to want something more. And because of that, it, in, in very cynical terms, the movie grabs them when they are young and just keeps them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I think that that's true. I, I remember... Actually, no. I'll save that for live up, what I was about to say. It's just interesting to me to look at the film. Uh, it's got like 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, 8 out of 10 on IMDb, a 3.9 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Like, people love this movie. And I think what you said is is spot on, that, that there is so much about it that really is, is really easy to just latch onto and remember. Even as someone who saw this film once when I was young. Like, I've never forgotten it. How you can't forget The Nightmare Before Christmas. It's so unique. Exactly. Uh, and if it's something that you like, it, it's so easy to just love. And uh, I think you said it really well. So thank you for answering my questions that genuinely I've had for the longest time because, uh, well, actually, again, I got to save that for Live Up because it will get into spoilers. You know, we're trying to keep the spoiler free. So to get closer to the spoilers, let's move on to the next segment here. Rummage for the Rotten. Um, So this is a segment of the show that I do only when I have a guest. I think it's going to be pretty easy this time. It's where me and the guest take turns guessing who we think is going to be the Rotten or the person who likes the movie the least. Uh, That doesn't mean that we have to dislike it. 
you know, one of us could give it a four and the other one gives it a five and the four would be the wrong, if that makes sense. So you can vote for yourself, especially if there's only two of us. And I am going to vote for myself, not because I dislike the movie, but I just, I don't think that I'm going to be able to compete with Ali and the love he has for it. Uh, so I think I'm going to be the rock. But what do you think? Well, to be honest, I have to follow your sentiments. I I, I don't think, again, you, you dislike it or you think it's bad. I think that the, the impact it had on my life, as I said, I watched this like at this point over 20 or 30 times. And you said you only watched it once when you were young and again for the podcast. So I, I'm thinking, I'm sorry, but you are the button here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're wrong at all. So, okay. Well, that's going to be an easy guess. We will reveal the rotten with our five, uh, out of five reels uh, to honor Matt from Echoes of the Movies uh, at the end of the episode. So stick around for that. Uh, you can also guess along. You can comment uh, wherever you're listening to this. You can uh, message me on any social media platform. Let me know uh, if you're the rotten listening to this so uh let's move on to some brief announcements here which are just a horrible way to die uh the giveaway that i was doing for the two-year anniversary actually ends today the day that i'm recording this all right future harrison jumping in here one more time for this episode just to announce the winners of the giveaway i have contacted both of them they've responded thank you so much to everybody who participated interacting with the show on social media leaving review on pod chasers it was fun to celebrate two years something that I want to continue to do is do giveaways. So follow this show on social media, which you can get in the show notes. Also leave those reviews on Podchaser. That is always appreciated. But again, thank you so much to Asher and Hannah, who are the two winners of the gift cards. Hopefully you enjoy your, your movie tickets that you can purchase with them. Anyway, back to the episode. Additionally, Ali, I want to give you one more chance to uh, briefly talk about your, your YouTube channel and your podcast. Uh, oh, well, again, the YouTube channel is called AK88 Studios. Uh, very recently, a couple of days ago, as we're recording this, I published my second video in my series. Uh, I had a series, I put it on a hiatus and came back a year later. And uh, I started a new series and I published a second episode on that. It's for Omerta City of Gangsters, the video game. Uh, just about mafia in general, mafia in video games. Uh, not, the, not the video game mafia, but the literal gangsters in <laughs> video games. And um, uh, it's more analytical. It's more just me trying to, as, as we are doing right now, realize a question that I might have about a particular subject. And as for the last thoughts of a busy mind, which is my podcast, that is more personal stuff. But if you want, like, listening to a human being stuck in a corner of the world, just trying to figure out life, I think you'd, you'd probably like that. Well, there we go. And if you're enjoying Lee's voice as much as I am, you should definitely go listen to his podcast. So before we get on to the next segment, Ali has no idea that I'm about to do this to uh, before we get into oh. the spoilers in the next segment, I'm going to pick his brain. Anytime there's a guest on the show, I give him a whole onslaught of questions about <laughs> movies because I just love to get people's ideas. So if you're ready, Ali, I've got some questions that you're going to have to answer. So well, the, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting it, as <laughs> but sure, I'm, I'm game. I, I think they'll be easy to answer. The point oh, okay. is for you not to expect it. That is the point. Um, 
So additionally, because you are not from the U.S., you these questions you can give. Uh, they're all about movies, uh, so that's oh. pretty simple. Okay. You feel free to give like a, a U.S.-based film or an international film or both um, that you okay. that answers that question. So first question that might be a difficult one. I always have a hard time answering this myself. Your top three movies. Right well, now, I actually have a list for my top 100 movies. Uh, it's on IMDb. I have an IMDb account and I put it there. I've, I spent a lot of time working on that and I keep revising it every now and then, reviewing it. Uh, and uh, well, the top three on that are The Good, The Bad and The Ugly is number one. Uh, the Godfather, part one, is number two. And Terry Gilliam's 1985 movie Brazil is number three. Okay, great picks. Wow, I'm impressed. Okay, so next question here. Who is your favorite director? Well, um, it might. It, it's the director that made my favorite movie of all time. It's the late Sergio Leone. But uh, this might be a little, I want to say an alive director as well. And this might give away sort of my love for The Nightmare Before Christmas, but it's Tim Burton. <laughs> okay. So f- since we already know your favorite f- from the other director, favorite from favorite film from Tim Burton? Uh, Edward Scissorhands. Edward Scissorhands. Well, I'm excited then. I've never seen that movie. I am reviewing oh. it as part of this Halloween binge that I'm doing. Uh, in a, in a week or two, so I'm very excited for that. Actually, weirdly enough, that movie is m- more Christmassy than the Nightmare <laughs> okay. Before Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great! Well, maybe. Well, it's going to be a Halloween episode because, yeah. like, I, I don't know it. So, um, okay. So, I think I already know the answer to this question, just in how we were talking before you even got on the show. Uh, favorite genre? Is it musicals? Is that your favorite genre? Uh, Westerns and musicals, yes. I'm a very boring person. <laughs> I like <laughs> hey. slow-moving movies. <laughs> hey, those are great. So, okay. Favorite musical and favorite Western, then? Well, the favorite Western is The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. That that part is, I think I sort of spoiled that. I love <laughs> spaghetti Westerns just more in general, because my second favorite Western is also a spaghetti Western. It's Once Upon a Time in the West, again by Sergio Leone. But my favorite musical, I have a few, but the one, if I have to mention one, it's Singing in the Rain. But there are more that I think, uh, Singing in the Rain is the movie that I keep going back to, and I love it. It's actually in the list, top 100 uh, movies. And it's because I don't consider The Lion King to be a musical. (laughs) (laughs) But I know it is, but it's a whole thing. But it's singing in the rain. But there are more that I just watch constantly. Well, maybe you'll get a chance to answer those. Mention those (laughs) in a second. So um, favorite. These are we're going to go through all the favorite questions first. And then we'll do the other. uh, Favorite. Actress and actor. Favorite actor is Jeremy Irons. I love the man. I actually, uh, you can't see it, but I'm looking at a portrait of him that I made in uh, the last year of high school. Uh, And I love the man. Jeremy Irons, 
my favorite actor of all time. Um, my favorite actress is actually Nicole Kidman. I think uh, she's done a lot of great work, and a lot of her movies I actually really love. A lot of her performances. From a, a, oh, I wanted to say License to Kill, but that is a James Bond movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to Die For, I wanted to say. From To Die For to Cold Mountain, which I think is one of the greatest performances of just cinema history. To Hours and, well, even recent stuff. Like, I know a lot of people want to make fun of her because of that, but uh, the miniseries she did for HBO with uh, uh, Hugh Grant, I completely am blanking on the name. I don't know what it is. I'm sorry. I'm uh, no help. It, it, it's, it's about uh, when uh, she finds out that her husband is uh, sort of hiding stuff from her. I'm going to, I'm sorry for this. As I'm talking, is it nine I'm perfect going to, strangers? No, no, no. As I'm uh, talking, I'm going to find the name. Uh, it's The Undoing. Ah, I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, she, she was really great in that. <laughs> okay. Well, those are both great picks. So uh, you kind of mentioned one already for Nicole Kidman, but for Jeremy Irons, what would what would you know your top film from him be? Well, it's The Lion King, but <laughs> uh, he's my favorite character in The Lion King. He's Scar. But uh, if I want to make a live-action choice, it would be uh, David Cronenberg's Dead Ringers. I think that that movie is brilliant and his performance in it is just breathtaking man you're laying down all the good answers to this um <laughs> okay you. so more uh pop culture question though, oh. you know because you've been giving okay. us great classics which no problem with that uh what would be your favorite current uh or let's say within the past mm, 10 years so like harry potter for example oh. favorite current you know franchise or, or movie series uh that either just recently ended or is still happening well um 10 years so it would remove lord of the rings it, it it's got to be mcu okay well, i think you could have yeah. chosen lord of the rings i should have given a better a, a more specific <laughs> date but we'll get both in there <laughs> uh, okay. i think i think mcu did uh, it changed the it changed cinema whether we like it or not for better or for worse it changed cinema. The 2012 Avengers is one of again one of my top 100 movies of all time. I love that movie and I think the way uh, Joss Whedon sort of uh, combined all of those characters together was exemplary, for the lack of a better word. And uh, but aside from that, one of my favorite movies of the last very current, more current than that, was Logan, the 2017 movie, which I know is not part of the MCU yet, but mm-hmm. it's Marvel. It's it's the oh, same yeah. company. <laughs> uh, Logan is fantastic, too. When you were mentioning Westerns, I thought of Logan. A lot of people describe it as like a neo-Western. Um, so I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah, it's it's actually, it's it's an odd thing. I wrote a paper a couple of years ago about how the uh, superhero genre is basing itself off of 
Western genre. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and Logan is a mix of an old Clint Eastwood, uh, like uh, Unforgiven, mixed with a spaghetti Western, but told in a classical Western story. It's a jumble of just words at this point, but in the paper, I actually write down what each of them means. Well, I've got to read that. Well, Frank, sadly, sadly, it's in Persian. So. Well, that's not helpful then. <laughs> yeah, I should translate it at some point. Okay, so my, my next question here, getting away from like the favorites and things like that. Um, the first one, if you could have a job on a movie set, any job, you could be the director, you could be the producer, you could be the person who drives a golf cart, you could be <laughs> a, a gaffer, whatever. Uh, what job would you have on a movie set? Well, writer, definitely. Okay. <laughs> because I think, um, I, I, I hate saying this because I've been in the situation and I know it's not easy, but the easiest parts of the movie industry are the writers and the audience because the writer is there at the beginning and the audience is there at the end. They don't have to deal with all of the mess in between. <laughs> right yeah that's a good point okay great answer i like the way you answered that um Thanks. okay movie coming out um it, let me rephrase that question what is the film that's coming out soon you know that you know either the end of this year kind of the beginning of next mm -hmm. year that you're most excited for most anticipated film that's what i was trying to say well uh i i think to be honest I'm not very hyped for a lot of movies uh, because I've been burnt a lot by being hyped up and just losing everything. So I'm going to say the movie that I'm actually looking forward to seeing is a Jeremy Irons movie called Munich, The Age of War. It's about the uh, prime minister before uh, Churchill, Neville Chamberlain. And the infamous uh, paper thing he did, which I, I, I don't uh, know if you know about that or not. Uh, no, I don't. I'm looking at it right now. I had, I had no oh. idea. Well, uh, Neville Chamberlain, uh, before the start of World War II, went to Hitler when Hitler annexed uh, Austria and told him, write a paper and promise me you don't attack anywhere else. And Hitler does that, and he comes home and just waves the paper around saying, I solved all of the world's problem. And as we know, Hitler never attacked anywhere. <laughs> wow. I'm definitely... Is this a Netflix movie? Uh, yes, it's a Netflix movie. I think currently it's being shown at some festivals, but it's going to come out, I think, January 21st of 2022. I'm not sure on the date. Okay. Well, my eye is definitely on it now. Great recommendation there. Um, uh, to be honest, Jeremy Irons is also in another movie that is going to come out fairly soon, but I'm not very excited for that one. It's House of Gucci. Uh, I was curious if you were going to mention that because you mentioned uh, you mentioned Jeremy Irons. I was like, oh, is he going to yeah. say House of Gucci? But you didn't, so. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I'm not really looking forward to that because Ridley Scott is such a huge... Uh, crapshoot like he, i either love his movies so much or i hate them with like 
fiery passion. <laughs> right. I know what you mean. Um, okay. Well, great answers. So uh, next question is kind of in line with the one that you just uh, mentioned um, is to recommend a movie. It doesn't have to be your favorite. It doesn't even have to be one that you like, but just recommend a movie to me and also the audience. And I, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to get like a, a American film and then also an international film. It can be Iranian or whatever. Um, well, uh, I, I'm going to recommend a movie that was very independent. Uh, it got uh, it's got its budget to a Kickstarter, and I loved. It came out, I think, in 2017. The date is really like. Uh, because it was a Kickstarter movie, it doesn't have a very official date, but it's called The Fitzroy. It was directed by Andrew Hammer, and it's one of the most interesting movies of style over substance that I've seen in recent years. It just shows the fact that you can achieve that without a huge budget and just with having a very pronounced style. Um, so that is the movie I recommend for the uh, English speaking. Um, for Iranian movies, it's kind of hard for me, but uh, I think since I know it's been restored by the, I think the um, institute that Martin Scorsese has for restoring older international movies, it's Bahama Beza's Downpour or Ragbar in Persian language uh it's a great movie it's one of my favorite iranian movies of all time and since it's been restored uh, fairly recently it has a great quality you can find it it's great great quality and also it has a english subtitle so you can check it out there is no reason not to check it out okay well i'm definitely gonna need you to send me the name of that because I'm oh. not even gonna gonna attempt to write it down. Uh, go and actually, if you wouldn't mind, just go ahead and in the chat we have here, put both of those films that you mentioned, uh, so that I can uh, make sure I have them. Put them. I'm not, these will be linked in the show notes um, for everybody, uh, so that they you can find them as well. So, if you want, I can send you the IMDb links as well later. That, that would be fantastic. That would actually be very helpful. <laughs> those IMDb links will be included. I, both of those that you recommended, you've got really great taste in films. You know, Thank you. I'm going to show my cards here a little bit. The, the Basement Binge genuinely started, if longtime listeners will know, as three friends deciding to watch all, at the time, 23 of the MCU movies. Like, the oh. MCU and big budget blockbuster, like, very, very mainstream movies was all that any of us really knew. Um, and so, which is fine. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with that. You got to start somewhere. Uh, but that's really what it was. And then through the podcast and also just being engulfed more and more in film culture, I've found so many more films that I just like that are great in such a different way and, and finding different styles and genres of films and, and understanding and appreciating the creation of film in such a different way. I always feel so limited when I talk to somebody like you, which this is not a negative thing, but anyway, I'm just like, man, they, they have such a rich understanding of these things that I feel so young in. Uh, and so I, I appreciate these recommendations because I'm, I know I'm going to watch him. I, particularly the Fitzroy, which you, you said, 
films with style over substance, I, I love. I find them incredibly interesting. So I'm, I'm very, very excited for that. Yeah, uh, they, are, they are an odd breed. And sometimes it works in their favor, like the Fitzroy. Sometimes it works against them, like with Luc Besson's Valerian. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, which, I mean, that movie has style over substance, but the fact is that neither style nor the substance are very good. Right, yeah. There was an episode on that at the Basin Binge for listeners if they want to listen to that. That, that was an interesting review. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Well, those are all the questions that I have for you. Actually, I take wow. it back. I have one more question. Oh. Uh, it's a little more difficult to answer, and I ask it to everybody. Why do you love movies? Well, to be honest, I love storytelling and I think movies are, and I know I'm going to get a lot of hate for that, the optimal way to tell a story. It's the art form where all other art forms are involved, excluding video games, but that's a whole other (laughs) can of worms. But uh, it's the art form that employs everything that humans have ever made from books, which is your story, your plot, to music, to architecture, to painting, to photography, to everything comes together, added a little bit of an element of the camera, and you just, not a little bit, it's actually a very important bit, but you add that also, which is a whole new element, and you just create the most optimal way you can tell a story. And I love storytelling ever since I remember. I, <laughs> I remember the line from The Good Fellas. As long as I remember, I wanted to be a storyteller. And, uh, <laughs> right. I thought the same thing. Yeah. And uh, I, I wanted to be a novelist at first, but then I saw The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And I'm sorry for my French. I don't know if you're going to censor it or not but i said <laughs> books i want to do that <laughs> <laughs> which i know a lot of i i i still think uh, books are great and definitely read more but yeah movies are like a whole other world to me yeah I- that is a fantastic answer i it's a really interesting question to ask people um, because they answer in such a different way. I, I loved your answer. It's one that I, I think is probably the closest to how I would answer it, um, you know, Thank or whatever you. that's worth. So now that that large detour and surprise for Ali is over, we can move on to the next segment. We are getting into the spoilers. So if you are one of the rare humans on Earth uh, who happens <laughs> to be listening to this episode but hasn't seen this movie and you're worried about spoilers, now is the time to stop listening. But I don't think that that applies to anybody. So let's move on to the very next segment. Pick your poison. So this is a very weirdly made up and kind of fitting for Halloween. Uh, Ranking or or rating, better term, rating scale here at the Basement Binge that me and the original uh, two other hosts who are now gone um, came up with. So it's it's four options. Instead of giving it like a star rating or a percentage or something like that, um, there's four options. to never watch it again, which is self-explanatory. Uh, to stream it, which is kind of the idea. It's it's on a service uh, or, or it's available in a way that you already have access to. 
and you're just kind of looking for something to watch, you know, there's a hole in your entertainment and you just want to watch something. Uh, above that is to rent it. You'd be willing to spend a few dollars to watch it at once. And then the top of the list is to buy it, own it for yourself, whether that's physical or digital, and watch it as much as you would like. I will let you go first, Ollie. Well, I think from what I've said so far, my answer is probably very predictable. I think buy it. Buy it and keep watching it and show it to your children and force the children of the family to sit down and watch it. And when they start crying at the scary visuals, just tell them that it will build character. (laughs) Right. Okay. I I think this is weird because this is, whenever I get into a film like this, it kind of limits this rating scale that we made up, but that's kind of the point of it. So my rating that I would give it for Pigeon Poison is to stream it. Uh, It is a movie that I know I will watch again uh, for Halloween. This will probably be a yearly, not not super strictly, but, you know, when is Halloween season, I'll I'll watch it. And if it's on a service that I'm already have access to, I'd watch it. But if it was like, oh, let's watch The Nightmare Before Christmas for Halloween. Oh, it's not anywhere. We have to pay three dollars. Man, let's watch something else. Like it, it, it it's not um, one that I feel like a deep passion. Like, oh, we've got to watch it for Halloween. But if it's there, I'm gonna watch it for Halloween because it's a great film uh, for this time. Uh, so yeah, kind of limited ranking within the the system, but that's just the way it goes. So let's get into the next segment here, which I'm very I've been looking forward to the most. Live up. So this is a segment talking about kind of the expectations of the film or almost like the the legend uh, in, with this film that it has. And if viewing it this time, whether it's your first or, or second or 30th, uh, <laughs> does it live up to that? Um, so I'm going to go first because I've only seen it twice. This is my second time ever watching it. And this is the I, earlier in the two cents. I kept saying, oh, I got to save that for live up. I got to save it for live up. Yeah. And this is what it was. When I was really young, I don't remember how young, I, I, I was a kid, you know, six or seven, maybe. I had a best friend. She lived across the street from me. Her name was Jessica Finlay. Uh, we were friends. We were born like a few months apart and our parents were friends. So we were like friends from birth pretty much. Um, and her family was just crazy Disney fanatics. They went to Disneyland all the time. If Disney released a movie, they went and saw it. They bought it on DVD as soon as it was available. Like they, those Disney people that I'm sure, you know what I'm talking about. They were them. And I, I understand. Yes. So the, she showed me this movie. I don't even think it was Halloween. Like I remember sitting in her basement, watching this movie, just like, like thinking to, to my young self, what in the world is this? You know, like in the limited brain capacity I have, just being really confused by it. You know, like, who are these Halloween people? You know, because as a kid, you hear the stories (laughs) of Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny, but you don't hear the stories of Jack Skellington. You know, like, who is this guy? (laughs) What am I missing? And why does he want Santa Claus? Like, doesn't he get it that Santa (laughs) Claus is like this big, jolly guy? Like, you're not supposed to kidnap him. Like, like I didn't understand that. The I forget their their names. The the three kids that can't that oh, kidnap uh, Santa. Lockstock and Babel. Yeah, them. I I didn't understand that they were acting mischievously through their own accord. Like I thought it was Jack that wanted them to yeah. capture Santa Claus and send him to the boogeyman. I'm like, doesn't he understand that he's like the nicest guy ever and that Christmas isn't for him? Like you know, like I loved Christmas. You can't mess it up with Halloween. Uh, so. Yeah. 
anyway, long story short, it was just like, I just had a weird reaction to it. I didn't get it. Uh, for all the weirdness that we talked about in two cents, it didn't work for me. And then, like I mentioned throughout uh, middle school and high school, people just had a, an obvious outward appreciation of this film everywhere. And every single time I saw someone with a jacket with Jack Skellington's face, I was just like, what's wrong with you? Like, I, I just was really kind of harsh <laughs> towards them. I thought they were crazy. Uh, I, I really didn't get it. And I never had like the audacity to go and ask them, like, why do you like that movie? I just, but I wondered that. I'd look at them and I just rack my brain. What is it about that movie that you like? Granted, the only memory I had of it was that young, weird reaction. Um, anyway, so this was kind of the answer I had later on come up with to myself to make a long story long was that it was the music, that the music was what people loved about this. And that's why it, it had such a classic following. So that was kind of the idea that I went into this was like, okay. I had this weird experience with the film. I always wondered why people liked it. I kind of came up with my own answer that was the music. Okay, let's watch it for the podcast and find out, finally, was I right? So, was I right? No. Well, yes, I was right. The music is great, and I think that there, there, that is yeah. one of the things that people love. But I think, like, the, those, to answer the question about those people in high school who were wearing the outfits they weren't wearing the outfits because of the music. They were wearing the outfits because of the style and the, the production Halloween gothicness of it. And that's one of the reasons that people love. So I was right in that the music is something to love about this film, just not maybe why those people in particular love it. Uh, and, and so does it live up as this iconic film to me? And, and it's weird that it absolutely does. Watching this, I was just really kind of, blown away that it exists like disney Th think about disney you know snow white fairy tales yeah. like they made a creepy halloween kids movie that's Th creepy like it, it yeah. leans into the creepiness of stop-motion animation and really uses it to make the movement of these characters just gross and incredibly gothic the production design is really interesting um and um the director of the film, uh, Henry Selick. Yes, thank you. I can remember his name. Henry Selick said something interesting, and in, in when I was doing the research, that like you mentioned, Tim Burton it kind of inspired the film, and that it, he had a poem, yeah. and he was connected really lightly as a producer, like to the smallest extent. But beyond yeah. that, he wasn't really involved in the film. And Henry Selick, the director talks about how when making the movie, he tried to make a movie that looked like a Tim Burton movie. Like that was his motivation. Yeah. And he did a great job. Everybody thinks it's Tim Burton's movie. Uh, and, and so it's so interesting to watch that and, 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 and be able to appreciate it for what it is. Like this is a movie that existed. And, and I think the p reason people love it so much is because it's so rare. Uh, maybe this and Coraline are only uh, like the two movies that fit into this type of, unique genre uh, that it has. Uh, yeah. Um, so anyway, long I, I live have, up. I'll let you say something. You know, no, no, I, I was trying to say that. I think the Leica studio is trying to capture that feeling of the nightmare before Christmas. And I actually have a, a little bit to say about that too, that I think one of the reasons that I, Coraline is a great movie, but I think it never reached the... Uh, iconic uh, 
level that is the Nightmare Before Christmas. I don't think Corpse Bride and Frankenweenie, the other two animated movies that Burton made, ever reached the iconicness of the Nightmare Before Christmas, which I love those movies as well, but the Nightmare Before Christmas is literally a lightning in a bottle. It's like the original Ghostbusters. You can't remake it. Right, that's true. I was actually going to mention the Corpses Bride because I don't. I I would say that the general public who loves the Nightmare Before Christmas and would say it's a Tim Burton movie has no idea that it's actually not his movie and that he made yeah. a similar movie. Uh, it, it is interesting. It, kind of spoiler as well for episodes coming later at the Basin Binge. Coraline is an episode that I'm working on. I, I watched oh. it previous to this for the first time, and it was interesting to watch it to to see to kind of talk a little bit more about what you said and how Coraline doesn't live up to the legacy that the nightmare before Christmas has. And I think part of the reason why in favor of the nightmare before Christmas is that, yeah, in addition to kind of the creepy gothicness, uh, there's also like really classic characters and really catchy music. Uh, And it's really easy to come back to when Coraline outside of the character of Coraline and like the creepy production design, like what else, is there, uh, which Precisely. there is. You'll have to subscribe to the Basement Binge and listen for that episode coming soon. But <laughs> shameless plug. Uh, yeah. But I, I understand. I understand. It's part of the hustle, <laughs> right? But to the favor of the Nightmare Before Christmas, in addition to being just a celebration of Halloween gothicness and everything that's associated with that, it's also just like a good movie that's filled with music and and enjoyable characters. Yeah, precisely. Uh, again, not to knock down Coraline or a Box Trolls or Paranorman or Corpse Bride or Frank Henry, all of these movies that want to be the next Nightmare Before Christmas in my eyes, is that none of those movies managed to pin down the perfect thing that the Nightmare Before Christmas pinned down and its emotions. Jack Skellington has more emotions than any of the other titular characters and his name is not even the name of the movie (laughs) that's true and to kind of we'll get into this more and fall in but it's interesting to um like he has very adult emotions yeah i i this is totally a film you can enjoy as a kid and like love as a kid and be like oh now i'm adult i want to watch this movie again and then be like wow jack skellington like it, it gets me type of thing. And I think it allows that love for it to continue. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, so I, I am curious to ask you as part of this live up segment, you said you've watched this like 20 or 30 times, which is yes. a lot. What was it like it revisiting it for the 30th time or whatever? Well, knowing what it is, you know, this, this is the nightmare yeah. before Christmas. It's got this big legacy. Is it still able to maintain that? 30, 40 times after? Well, I think yes. For the most part, yes. I, as I said, I tried to be more analytical and less fanboy when I was watching it, which didn't work. The first moment they said, boys and girls of every age, I was singing along with the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the part that really stood out to me is the number of songs, first of all. There are a lot of songs in this movie, 11, which I mean, 
is is not is okay to put it in perspective the lion king has five yeah and uh-huh. and the movie is an hour and 16 minutes you know yeah like- it's it's crazy how many songs Danny Elfman wrote for the movie and how good he sort of managed to understand the feeling of the movie, which I think is a problem that a lot of other similar Disney movies have, that the songs really don't match the movie. Case in point, uh, Pocahontas, I think, which has great songs, but they make no sense in that movie. What was <laughs> Yeah, and uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas for me. So the first thing I realized is how many songs are in this and how musical it is actually. Uh, and on top of that, how deliberate the designs are. As you said, it's a stop motion movie, but it's sort of weird how good they designed these characters for stop motion. I don't think you can do Nightmare Before Christmas as a 2D animated movie or a 2D animated movie. I don't think it will ever work as well as uh, sort of evidence by a lot of parodies that are in 2D or 3D. And just Jack Skellington as a 2D character doesn't work. It needs oh. to be a puppet. Oh yeah, you need you need the deep sockets of his eyes and and the depth of his yeah. mouth with his creepy teeth. Yeah, totally works. Yeah, exactly. And it, for other characters as well, I think it's how deliberate it was and how well sort of it came together. It was a lightning in the bottle, as I said. It will never be made again. Um, it might. I'm not going to say it's impossible. I think it's unlikely. <laughs> And it's one of those movies that for the 30th time that you watch it, you sort of just, your eyes wander to the background and you realize for a stop motion movie, they really took no shortcuts. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was going to mention that later, but it, I, I love stop motion. I, yeah. it's probably my favorite format of filmmaking in general. And of course you're watching Jack Skellington move, but then to think about the meticulous process of the background things that are just totally unnecessary. Leafs blowing fabric moving. It just, the, it was interesting to talk about that a little longer. Sorry to kind of interrupt you, but I just thought it was such a great point you brought up. When I was watching the film, I was like, Oh yeah, this isn't as great as stop motion as like, Leica. I'm a huge fan of Leica for their animation. I think that they push the limits of stop motion so far uh, and, and they, I agree. you, you watch it and it doesn't even look like stop motion. Like it, it just has incredible fluidity. Anyway, you, you watch this and it kind of has the herky jerkiness, you know, the stop motion of stop motion. Yeah. You see it's there. And at first I was kind of like, Oh wow, they did. They didn't animate it very good. And I kind of had a harsh judgment. And then as the film went on and I saw all the things happening in the background, I was like, no, they were actually really uh, thorough with the animation. They just, it's being animated on purpose to be stop motion. That's an intention of the animation. It's a choice. Uh, And the animation really is phenomenal. Uh, also, and this is sort of maybe a bit boring for people who are not really into this stuff, but 
The Nightmare Before Christmas sort of falls into the postmodernism era of cinema, which is when movie makers try to look back at the history of cinema and realize there is enough substance there to become self-referential as opposed to classic, which, which was just, let's see what other stories are there and bring them to the screen. And modern, which was like, just fuck classics. <laughs> uh, postmodern. And so there is a reason for a lot of this stuff in Nightmare Before Christmas. And I will talk about them more when we sort of go to the, uh, I'm sorry, I forgot the Easter egg part. Uh, binge points, yeah. Binge points, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Um, and I will talk about them more there, but it's sort of uh, intentional in a way that that's the way that King Kong moved in 1930s. So they could have made it better because at that point they had the technology. You have to realize that like around the corner was Jurassic Park, which was supposed to be a stop motion uh, right. movie, then became CG. <laughs> yeah. And um, like they had the technology to make it seamless. They didn't because if they did, it, it wouldn't be the nightmare before Christmas. It wouldn't have, it needs to have the feeling that I love this motion and uh, it's very specific, but when Santa Claus takes Jack, uh, his hat from Jack and the movement is in a way that it almost feels like he might fall at any moment because he's so, well, fat. <laughs> <laughs> and But I think, again, it's deliberate. It's because you need to feel the weight of the character and it's it just basically telling you, yeah, we use puppets. And we move them. Aren't you like entertained? Self-referential, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Great points, great points. Uh, you mentioned the next segment, binge points, where we do talk about Easter eggs, which I'm ready to move on to. Unless you have um, anything else you want to add on Live Up, so. uh, just the fact that uh, I think a, a point that is not brought up as much is the voice acting. I think the voice acting in this movie is also extremely good. And you realize it when you just understand that at some point you, you, you're listening to Paul Rubens, Chris Sarandon from The Princess Bride and uh, Catherine O'Hara. And But you are not listening to them. They are not themselves they are characters and this is something that i mean again to bring back pocahontas I, i'm sorry for bringing that up but it's an uh, <laughs> animated movie i watched recently because a cousin of mine <laughs> and <laughs> mel gibson in that movie is mel gibson it's there is there is no john smith it's mel gibson and the same goes for david arjun styers which plays the Bad guy, I forgot the name. The I I want it all gold guy, right? And most of them just sound like worse versions of themselves. But in the Nightmare Before Christmas, the voice acting is spectacular. The way they just deliver those emotions is even some characters as small as the uh, the mayor. 
which I know is not a small character, but it's not as big as Jack Skellington or Sally or uh, Santa Claus or Oogie Boogie. So, like, even the mayor is the moment that he's talking about, oh my God, Jack is dead. And Glenn Shaddix just does a great job of bringing the humor and the sadness at the same time. Yeah, I would agree with you. I, I think the, the voice acting really is phenomenal. So I'm glad you brought that up because I would have forgot to. So <laughs> with that, then let's move on to the next segment, Binge Points. So this is where we talk about Easter eggs, details, trivia, facts, behind the scenes details, you know, anything else that we want to mention um, yeah. that, that we want to bring up. Go ahead. Take it away. Well, the first one which we mentioned so far is the fact that Tim Burton had nothing to do with the movie, <laughs> even yeah. though the full name of the movie is Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. But yeah, it's so doing in his style that it's, it's hard not to see it that way. Also, I want to talk about a very particular era of cinema that influenced a lot of Tim Burton's movies. And again, you see it more in Edward Scissorhands when you watch that. It's the Hammer Horror Productions. I don't know if you've seen them or not. Uh, The famous one is Christopher Liz Dracula. I have seen that. Oh, that's that's great. Uh, I, I have... A lot of a lot to say about that movie as well, but I'm not going to. But if you see those <laughs> movies, the gothic way that the architecture is used in Hammer horror movies specifically, which is not the same as Universal movies, it's a kind of a dirty gothic. It's not crisp lines. It's just murky. Everything looks gray. Everything looks dusty, and it's the same thing that happens in a lot of Tim Burton movies. Uh, Tim Burton actually literally made a Hammer horror-style movie called Sleepy Hollow, which I highly recommend you give it a watch if you can. There is a joke in there that I'm not going to spoil, but it's very <laughs> deep cut. Okay. And uh, so The Nightmare Before Christmas, it's gothic, but it's also very dirty-looking. And again, that was deliberate because it was trying to sort of reference a very specific era of cinema that, oddly enough, is the era that Tim Burton grew on. So it's sort of like he's passing the stuff he grew up on onto people like, well, us, which grew up with his movies. Yeah, I I, th- I was I didn't know that, that it came from Hammer Horror Productions. But if I think about that, um, you know, like another one that I've seen is, is uh, the curse of Frankenstein. And I just like think about oh, yeah. the look of that film, both with the production design, but also just visually, you know, cinematically the look of it. And I yeah. think that this film from production and animation, um, the, the way that the camera, the, the, the technical limitations of a camera at that time, how that affects the, the visual portrayal of the movie and how that same style is almost brought over into stop motion, but also the harsh lighting. That was one thing that I really noticed this time around watching it. The lighting of this movie is just constantly phenomenal. Shadows everywhere, uh, foreground and background shadows. I I love the the unique, incredibly gothic lighting of this film um, that 
is easy to not notice in a stop motion movie. You know, it's, I've never made yeah. a stop motion movie, but it, it's kind of easy to just, you know, light it from the foreground and call it good. You know, your pictures, uh, what's the word I'm searching for? Uh, your picture is exposed enough. Exposed. Thank you. I couldn't, I was, was trying to say lit up and I was like, what's the word? It's, it's exposed. But yeah. instead, this lets there be shadows. Uh, there lets there be silhouettes. You know, when we're introduced to Oogie Boogie Man, he's just a shadow. Uh, yeah. I, I love the lighting in this film. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's in the moon. I was thinking when it's the first. Yeah, he's in the moon saying, I am the shadow of the moon at night. Yeah. Yeah, I I I sort of forgot that for a second. Um, yeah, and again, another f- uh, fun thing which I think people probably know is the fact that Jack Skellington's singing voice and speaking voice are different. Uh, I did not know that. Oh, the speaking voice is Chris Sarandon again from the Princess Bride uh, fame. I think he was the prince, uh, the right. bad prince. The, and uh, the singing voice is Danny Elfman, and the composer. Yeah, Danny Elfman was. I, yeah, uh, I mean Danny Elfman used to be in a band before he started movie composing. Uh, I, you've heard uh, Dead Man's Party, right? Oingo I, Boingo. I have. Yes, that's Danny Elfman. Wow, you learn something <laughs> new every day. <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, check out the. Uh, music video for that you get to see a very young Daniel man and it's it's really odd uh, so oh, yeah that's that's uh, an, another <laughs> another thing uh, and Daniel Elfman does a great job at singing also speaking of Daniel Elfman and this is something that I noticed the first time myself and I was like filled with glee because I thought nobody else noticed it and then went online and saw everybody has noticed it. <laughs> uh, the musicians, the players, the instrument players that are standing and they start Jack's Lament and Sally's song. One of them has a giant bass and there's a head inside of that bass. That head is Danny Elfman again. It's based on <laughs> Danny Elfman. It looks like Danny Elfman. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's one of those things that the first time I mentioned, I looked at it and I said, oh, that kind of looks like Danny Elfman. And then I thought, oh, it's based on that. And then realized, yeah, everybody has noticed it already. But yeah. Wow. It was, really, it was a really fun experience for me. Also, uh, the voice actors, as I said, you had Paul Rubens. Eva Herman is uh, Locke, I think, or Stark, the red kid. Uh, Katy O'Hara is Sally and uh, the girl kid. And Daniel Elfman is the other kid, the one with the round face. And there is this theory, and I'm not sure how true that is, but it's the theory that these kids are dead kids. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a it's a surprisingly dark uh, and oddly political movie as well. Yeah, it is actually. Yeah, like the mayor is literally a two faced politician. Yeah, I can't do anything on my own. I'm only an elected official. <laughs> yes. I love that line. Yeah, uh, 
that is one of the greatest lines in the movie. And uh, another thing, and I'm sorry, I, ju- I just keep saying all of this, but it's because, as I said, I- I've lived this movie so many times that <laughs> I sort of memorized all of this knowledge and I, I just found a way to reiterate them. <laughs> oh, it's that... Uh, Speaking of stop motion, for Nightmare Before Christmas was actually one of the few movies that had a new technology in stop motion, which is they get to look at the picture they just took. Oh, that I I saw that I read that online, and I just I thought about all the people who made stop motion beforehand, and I thought you yeah. incredibly patient people. God bless you. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's the place where you realize the head thing in John Carpenter's The Thing is is how harrowing that was to all of those legs coming out. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. Yeah. I actually made a brick film, which is a stop motion with Legos. And even we, with use, uh, even me and my friend, we made it together. Us using digital cameras, we oftentimes made mistakes and had to start a whole thing over again. So, <laughs> well, I might need to call on you. I had a goal at starting in 2022 to start making uh, stop motion films using Legos. I don't know if you can see oh. it, but behind me, this closet, these shelves are full of Legos, which I'm going to use. That's to, great. Uh, I might have to call on you for help. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to help in any way I can. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, the uh, again, this movie is like an odd cast of characters. I mean, again, the politician, it's uh, the mayor himself is Glenn Shaddix, which I don't know if you know him or not. If, if you, Have you seen Beetlejuice? I have not. It's on the list, but I have not seen it. Yeah, it's another one of Tim Burton movies that people who've seen it seem to never shut up about it. <laughs> right. In- including me. I love that movie. It's one of my, again, one of my top 100 movies of all time. But uh, Glenn Shaddix is in that movie as a character named Otto. And so that's, uh, for people who have seen that movie, it's just so great to see Otto being a mayor. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll have to see it, then I'll know what you're talking about. Yeah. There's actually a reference in Beetlejuice to the Nightmare Before Christmas. It's it's uh, not uh, confirmed if that was intentional or not, but Beetlejuice at one moment has a little Jack Skellington skull on his hat, which could be just Tim Burton's style of drawing skulls. Also, and I'm sorry for hijacking the conversation this way, but I just wanted to mention that Beetlejuice is Michael Keaton, and he had a bat on his suit. And, well, Michael Keaton went to become Batman. (laughs) Beetlejuice is Michael Keaton? Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. It's actually... Oh, my gosh. Whoa! Oh my gosh! Wow, it's blown my mind. It's actually one of the uh, roles people seem to know him for, beside the big one, Batman. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to see Beetlejuice. 
Okay. Definitely check it out. It's it's actually it might give a give an idea of why people love Burton because you realize Nightmare Before Christmas is Burton esque, even though Burton has nothing to do with it. Right. Well, I'll have to do that. Yeah. And the last thing I just wanted to mention is again a stop motion behind the scenes stuff is the fact that uh, I I've, I'm sure you know this. Uh, the mouth movements on Jack, they swapped the heads. Oh, yeah. I, I assume so, because I didn't see any, like, areas where his mouth would have moved, like with the mayor, yeah. for example. Uh, and I just thought, like, oh, my gosh, how many heads did they have to make? Uh, because between the, the uh, all the different mouth movements he has, but that mouth movement combined with the eyes. Yeah. So many different heads. And, and even, like, the shape of his head, like his head... I mean, it's round all the time, but it kind of moves uh, it's a little actually bit. not always round because if you remember, there is a scene where he grabs the bottom of his face and oh, drags yeah. it out when he wants to scare the kids. Yeah. Yeah, so they had to like sculpt that specific move. <laughs> oh my gosh, so many heads. Yeah, um, it's actually, uh, there is a behind-the-scenes uh, stuff that was on the DVD, I think. I, I remember I saw it uh, five or six years ago, and they had a suitcase that was all Jack Skellington heads. Oh, my gosh. That is crazy. I, I didn't have, have too many bench points. I only have three, but one of them I'll just add on now just because we're talking about it. The film actually took around 100 stop-motion artists three years to finish, which I read online yeah. and I just thought was crazy. I, I mean, stop-motion films take... A while anyway it requires incredible amounts of patience and work uh, which yeah. i really admire but a hundred people working for three years that is just that's incredible i mean it, for those of you who aren't familiar with stop motion animation you probably know but it's you literally adjust a puppet and then take a picture and make a very very small adjustment and then take a picture and so on and so forth and then you play those pictures back to back and that creates movement so yeah one second of film, so like one second of you watching the movie, uh, is up to 12 different moves have to be made. So like up to 12 different movements that an animator has to go adjust the puppet or the background or, or whatever, or the lighting or move the camera. Yeah. This has really dynamic movements. And so, you know, one second oh, yeah, 12 yeah. moves uh, it could take all day. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's it's surprising how many dynamic camera moves are in The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. I mean, the camera is moving constantly. It's something that I haven't seen in a lot of recent stop-motion movies. It's like, how, how could you do that? And it's actually great because uh, this movie kind of also saved the stop-motion industry that was fading out. A little bit but yeah this movie sort of showed yeah we can do amazing things don't don't disregard us oh of course yeah i think that it really like especially with um henry selig being involved i think it really allowed like Leica, who we mentioned earlier to kind of yeah. spring out um which listeners if you don't know anything about Leica, there's uh, a review on kubo on the two strings and missing link their two most recent films which you can go check out also, Coraline and Paranorman, those two reviews coming very, very soon. Yeah. Based on Vinch. But and all of Leica's the... films, I highly recommend, particularly um, like Ali mentioned, uh, Coraline, 
Box Trolls yeah. and Paranorman all are great Halloween movies. But go ahead, I, I interrupted you. No, no, I just wanted to say that uh, there's also Box Trolls, but not a lot of people seem to talk about that poor movie. It sort of died down when it came out. I know, it's kind of sad because I, I love, I, I just love Like I think I'm just like, kind yeah. of upset with them. No, that, uh, that's a great movie. Uh, there is actually a song in there by Eric Idle, which is my favorite Python. Well, there you go. Yeah, Monty Python is just amazing, and yeah, just just wanted to mention that as well. Oh, of course. Um, uh, well, I've only got two other bench points to add on oh, here. Yes. Um, continuing with the idea of stop motion animation, uh, the hardest uh, shot that they had to make, the most difficult one for the film, is that one where Jack's hand reaches for the doorknob on Christmas Land because of just <laughs> reflections and the way the yeah. reflections work and reflecting the camera and and also the, the process of stop motion, but now complicated because you're doing it through a reflection. I mean, that's just impressive. Yeah. Um, then the only other one uh, that I have. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I just want to say I love the fact that they sort of went for it because I could have imagined a hundred other ways you could have animated that, but they said, no, this is the one we're going to do. Yeah, I, I agree. To do it. <laughs> well, I was watching that and I just thought, wow, like, of all things to choose to show him reaching for the doorknob, that's the one he had to go with. Like, really? <laughs> uh, which is impressive. Yeah. And the last bench point I have here, which I will, I'm going to talk a little bit more about and fall in, and we've talked a lot about Danny Elfman and the music and how he's involved as the composer and I guess also the voice for Jack Skellington singing. Uh, so he also wrote all of the, the uh, songs for The Nightmare Before Christmas. And in an interview, he said it was one of the easiest jobs he's ever had. He said he had a lot in common with Jack Skellington. And so he found it really easy uh, to write the music. And he wrote it really, really quickly because he just, uh, it was, you know, it, it wasn't something he had to dig up. It was something that it was kind of already with, within him, which I found interesting. But that's all the bench points I had. Did you have any others you wanted to add? Well, you mentioned it, so I'm sort of going to expand on it. The fact of the matter is, a lot of the story was actually shaped by Elfman himself and the music he wrote. So he influenced the way of the movie because he just wrote so many songs. <laughs> wow, that's cool, actually. Yeah. That's really cool. And uh, that, that's the thing. I, I think I have more to say in Fallen because... <laughs> Uh, I think this movie has a lot to say. I'm surprised that it does as well. So let's get there. We have one more segment to go before we get to fall in, and that's least and likes. This is normally a pretty short segment. Talk about our least favorite scene and our favorite scene. I will go first with my least favorite scene. Um, mm -hmm. To me, and it, it MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. 
new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. And it, I, I'm using the words carefully, least favorite, not necessarily a dislike, but just the one that is yeah. the least favorite, um, is the ending of the movie, the romance between Jack and Sally. I think I mean, it's sweet. Mm-hmm. It just seems so out of nowhere to me that it just feels like a weird place to end the movie. Like if you wanted to include it, I would have been fine. I just particularly with what I'm going to talk about in Fall In. It was just like, oh, man, we, we're going this great direction. And it's like, oh, yeah, and here's this romance with Sally that was like, what? You know, like it it feels kind of natural for um, it, and, and to use a word that you mentioned earlier that I would have never come up with on my own. The, the postmodern view of cinema and how it, it feels yeah. very respectful of that it, looking backwards. But to me, watching it now, it was just like, well, that was out of order. Yeah, I understand. I think, and again, we'll talk about it more probably, but I just wanted to say that I think that is Sally's story coming to an end rather than Jack's story coming to an end. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but um, I I want to talk about that more (laughs) later. I'm uh, interested to hear what you have to say. What's your least favorite? Uh, It's the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer uh, segment, which is the mist coming in and Zero's nose shines oh, bright yeah. and he sort of guides them. And it's just because, again, I don't understand why there is a threat and a solution within a minute of each other just because we need a Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer reference, I guess. Yeah, that is true. It's kind of like, oh, here's the fog. Oh, man, here comes Zero. Like, it's just immediate. Yeah. And okay. yeah, that, that's my least favorite scene. Okay, well, let's flip the coin. Let's go to the other side. Our favorite scene. Um, For me, the scene that I loved, as far as like an animation standpoint, I have two. I have like an animation favorite and then like a song slash story favorite. Mm -hmm. So my animation favorite is when uh, Jack confronts Oogie Boogie in like his little casino hideout thing. Yeah, uh, I mean the colors, the the like neon glowing look, the the movement of Jack in opposition to Oogie Boogie, and all the background card people chopping and shooting guns <laughs> like that. The amount of animation that is happening in a frame at any given moment is just incredible. Uh, yeah, and it's all spinning also at the same time. Everything is spinning. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it, it was just I was watching it and just thought the amount of work that went into that is incredible. Um, yeah. It's just a fun scene to watch. Yeah. Um, incredible animation and lighting. Uh, my favorite song slash, I wouldn't say it's my favorite song, more of like favorite story moment that has a song connected to it is when Jack lands in the graveyard as Santa Claus, like after they shoot him down oh, and he sings about yeah. himself and, and kind of comes it, to terms with who he is and accepts yeah, it, that he's not Santa Claus. I just, I love that scene. It, because for yeah, me, yeah. I kind of mentioned this in two cents and then live up. Like, like the movie was always kind of just weird to me. Like, it, you know, why, why does this skeleton want to be Santa Claus? Especially as a kid, like that really bothered me because like <laughs> Santa Claus is like the greatest person on the planet as a child. And so I, I, and like skeletons are scary. You can't switch those two things out. 
And so that that idea has just stuck with me, I think, just internally for the longest time. And so to actually have an appreciation for the story, like, okay, this isn't just a skeleton trying to be Santa Claus when he can't. Uh, There are so many more layers and emotion involved in that. And I loved kind of the conclusion of that in that scene. I I was surprised by how much was there. Yeah, the, the song is called Poor Jack, if I remember correctly. Uh, that scene. And I mean, the whole idea is that one sentence and I feel like my old bonnie self again. Yeah. Yeah. And even the music I felt like was just written so well to accompany that scene. Or maybe probably the other way around. The music was probably written really well and then they had a scene to accompany it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it's It's actually one of my favorite scenes as well. It's not my most favorite scene, but there is a line in that song that I love is what the heck I went and did my best. And by God, I really gave them something swell. And for a moment, why I really touched the sky. Oh yeah. At least. uh, Yeah. And I gave them some stories they can tell. I did, which after that, he says, and for once in my, I felt like my old pony self again. But that line is so great, and the way Elfman sings it, and the way they visualize it with him standing on top of that uh, statue, singing it, it's just such a great moment, I think. Yeah, I apologize, I interrupted you as you were repeating that line, you did so well. I I, I loved (laughs) that line, and that was like... Because again, to go back to like that experience I had as a child, like that was the moment where I was kind of like, it was slowly crossing over from like, okay, this is a weird story that I just don't understand why a skeleton would want to be Santa Claus to like, oh, this is actually, there's yeah. there's some layers here. There's some emotion. I was just barely kind of crossing the line into that area. And then those lyrics came across in the animation and the voice performance in it. And it just yeah. sent me clear over into the area like, wow, there is a lot here uh, that I really related to. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I just re- related to that line, so I apologize for interrupting you. But what's your no, favorite scene? Second. My favorite scene is, uh, I, I'm going to choose two, and they're both songs, and they are songs that I sing to myself a lot. It's This is Halloween, which I think is the perfect opening you can have for this movie. It can't get better than that. From the song itself to the visuals, to just everything. It's such a high energy opening that gets you pumped. And then you get Jack's Lament, which you get the story. <laughs> and the second one is Oogie Boogie's song. That he wants to eat Santa Claus. Yeah. <laughs> Again, because it's such a colorful scene and such a great musical number. I'm a big fan of jazz in general. And this one had a lot of jazzy vibes to it which I really enjoyed. Those uh, are great things. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so yeah, th- these are my favorite scenes. Uh, both of them are more visually interesting than story interesting, but uh, I, I think the story is, for me, is just such one level of like greatness that when I think of, oh, what scenes I usually go back to watch, it's either This Is Halloween or Oogie Boogie's Song. And as I said, I sing those songs a lot to myself. Right. Right. Well, with that, we can get into the segment that we've been itching to get to, Fall In. Yeah. 
which if you don't know, if you haven't listened to The Basement Binge before, if this is your first one, thank you so much for being here. But Fallen is a segment that started, like I mentioned, The Basement Binge started with Marvel movies. At the time, before I dropped out, I was in film school. And in film school and the particular film school I was in, it had a big emphasis on the meaning of storytelling and storytelling as a format and and film as a format of having purpose in it beyond just entertainment. I mean, clearly we are in the era where that is a the large purpose is entertainment. And there's nothing wrong with yeah. that. I mean, I'm a big fan of it, but it was a big eye-opening experience to me uh, to, to get that other side of it, but then also to take that knowledge that, that film and, and storytelling through film can have a purpose, can have a meaning that impacts our life in a, in a positive way. And taking that idea and trying to apply it to the experiences I had with big blockbusters, uh, which normally those two things don't go together immediately. So that's what yeah. the segment is. Talk about the meanings and messages. That's a little history behind it. Why is this of emotional resonance or importance, uh, which I was not expecting to be this easy. <laughs> with this movie. But I'll let you go first, Ali. Well, as I said, I think the movie is working great on two levels. First, for a kid, it's very simple. There isn't any hidden motivations. Even the fact that the kids want to disobey Jack and gave Santa Claus to the Oogie Boogie, you get that immediately. Like, they literally say it, that Mr. Oogie Boogie can do his thing. <laughs> I sort of forgot the lyrics there. But uh, so you kind of, the motivations are very clear. And I've always said that when story is simple, it doesn't mean that it's bad. It means that it's trying to establish a connection very easily. Another movie that has that sort of a very easy story is It's a Wonderful Life. But it's because the story is not there to make you think it's there to establish a connection with you. And I think that's the thing that works in the A Nightmare Before Christmas. These characters have very simple emotions and very simple uh, motivations. But at the same time, those very simple emotions and motivations for adults that are watching it have a lot of deep meaning behind them because, yeah, apathy is a very simple emotion. You don't feel anything anymore. but the way you go to get to apathy is such a complex journey. And an adult gets that. A child just gets, oh, he's bored. When I was watching it as a kid, I thought, oh, he's bored of Halloween the same way I get bored of like a toy that I've had for a long time. And I don't understand why I get bored of it. What's the journey there? I just realized I don't like it anymore. <laughs> But as an adult, you realize, yeah, it takes a lot out of you to, well, to quote the man himself, be so good at your job that there is a guy in Kentucky that calls you Mr. Unlucky. <laughs> and you've been known to add, uh, oh my God, what's the lyrics? India and France, I think. So you're that good at it that you no longer care. You, you, you can't get excited about going around and doing the same thing that you've been known to do over, over, and over again, and with great results every time. So that journey I get as an adult, but as a kid, you get the emotion, and that's the important part. So that leaves a mark for you. 
which I think is the brilliance of this movie. It's the same thing that I said, as much as I love all of the like animations and later Tim Burton animations, none of them got that. Coraline doesn't understand that you need to have, if you want to influence kids, your characters need to have very simple emotions because you can't explain to a kid the feeling of motherhood, but you can explain to him the feeling of liking something and not letting it go. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I make sense or not. Oh, no, you, you definitely are. I'm just listening because you're oh. doing, explaining it so well. Thank you so much. And uh, so, yeah, that, that I think is the important part. The movie is ultimately, at least for me, is about the finding the joy that uh, you lost and for something that you truly love. It might be you can't take it and uh, apply it to anything, whether it's, again, for us, a love of movies. We love movies, but at some point, I think we all, at some point, anyone who loves movies, questioned why. Why do I love them? Why am, what am I doing with my life? Yeah, and as we go along, and there is a cynicism in there as well that, oh, there are no good movies anymore. And then you watch Logan and realize, no, there are good movies anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, so I think that it's about that. And you can take it again and apply it to maybe a relationship. What made you fall in love with a person? And at some point, you forget that as the same way that Jack does. And Jack thinks the answer is going to something new and avoiding the hard questions. But no, it's, it's, it's actually understanding what made you love something in the first place. Realize if you've outgrown it or just need to remind yourself why you loved it. And that, that is for me. And there are a lot of other side characters in the movie also have their own arcs. Uh, I think uh, Sally's arc is basically understanding that... Uh, no matter what is your emotions for someone else, you can't stand in their way. And uh, that is the best thing about the uh, Sally's arc, is that she realizes that at the end of the day, she could have very easily persuaded Jack to sort of start the relationship there. But the movie, again, to bring back the point I mentioned, the movie doesn't do that uh, Jack is the one going after Sally because Sally has realized that, yeah, I, I can't keep pursuing him. You have that with Sally's song, like, are we ever, are we going to ever end up together? And so at the end, it's Jack. I understand it's really weird for Jack to out of nowhere say, yeah, let's have a relationship. And if you listen to the album, by the way, there is a cut piece. There's part of a poem that in the album, Patrick Stewart is the narrator. Uh, that in the end, uh, Jack and Sally have a bunch of skeleton kids. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's a very good uh, visual, but sadly they didn't make it for us. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, I, I'm going to bring the album up a little bit later too. Uh, sorry, just I wanted to mention that that because there is a line in that very last poem that uh, is important, but I'll talk about that a bit later. But I think that is why they sort of had that because Sally's arc is acceptance, and Jack just sort of rewards her for it. Yeah, it's interesting. Because I mentioned it was my least favorite scene, but having you talk about it now and thinking about it more, and, and kind of like compiling my own thoughts and it, with yours, that that Jack wasn't able to appreciate Sally or her yeah. her pursuance of him until he got over his own apathy. Um, yeah. That that maybe the apathy bled into other areas of his life as well, and then once that was overcome, he was able to appreciate that relationship in his life. And pursue it further, uh, which actually works really well. I guess I just didn't think about it that in depth, and now I kind of want to take that back as my least favorite scene because that's actually a great scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we can't we can't go back to uh, the last segment. <laughs> no, we, we got to press forward. <laughs> yeah, I ha- because I want to say you can't say making Christmas because that song is my least favorite one. <laughs> just wanted to say that. <laughs> Uh, but yet, uh, and again, uh, for that poem, it's not as important, but uh, the last poem that were cut from the movie, Patrick Stewart, the narrator, says that I asked Jack, I don't remember the exact lines, and I'm sorry for that, but I said that uh, if you if you could go back and what you know now, what you knew then, would you do it again? And Jack says, wouldn't you? And I think that is a big step in the growth that Jack has. Again, acceptance is a very big theme in uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. But the fact that Jack realizes that, no, no, I would have done the same thing. Because if I couldn't, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have that experience. I couldn't give them some stories they can tell. So it's, it's, I think it's a, it's a great just lesson in general and a great reminder because there, were, there has been many times, as I said, in my own life that I sort of question everything I've ever loved. But you just need to realize that sometimes you need to ask why you, need, why you question them. Instead of just jumping, no, I want to try this new thing. I want to become Christmas. I, I don't want to be Halloween anymore. Yeah, I I think that it's the idea of acceptance is one that I, I also think made those individuals, I think about those individuals in high school. Uh, well, actually, I'll get back to that. I'll get back to that idea later. To briefly comment on what you're saying, the idea of acceptance, I think is why that that poor old Jack, uh, or poor Jack, whatever the song's called, uh, yeah, is a scene Jack. that I really liked because um, he's accepting himself as the Pumpkin King. Like, I love the line. Yeah. And for the first time since I don't remember when, I felt just like my old bony self again. And I, Jack, yeah. the Pumpkin King. That's right. I am the pumpkin I am king. The pumpkin king. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it's great, you know. Like he's a pumpkin king. Like 
what the heck is a pumpkin king? I don't know, but he's a pumpkin king. And he, and he is that, and he's 100% invested in that. And it, it reminds me of something that my brother-in-law tells me. Um, he's like a really big, uh, big businessman, a big pursuer. He listens <laughs> to a lot of like self-help books and podcasts and those types of things. Uh, and he was recently talking about the idea of making strengths out of strengths. That as we try to improve ourselves, whether we're trying to overcome apathy or just get better at something as we're, as we're growing, there's this idea that comes along somewhere that, oh, we need to make a strength out of our weaknesses or I need more strengths. Uh, mm. And why not just make strengths out of strengths, like things that are accepting yourself for your uniqueness? And, yep. and it goes beyond just like accepting flaws. Like I don't think being a pumpkin king is a flaw. Like there's characteristics of Halloween that are essential to make Halloween what it is. that are completely different from Christmas. And I'm glad that they're different and they need to be different. And Jack accepts that difference and celebrates it. And is like, you know what? I'm not Santa Claus. I'm the pumpkin king. Let me go be the pumpkin king now. And yes. accepts the, not just accepts that he's the pumpkin king, but accepts the worth of being the pumpkin king. And uh, yeah, the next, uh, the, how the song ends. He says he's the pumpkin king, and he says, and I just can't wait until next Halloween because I've got some new ideas that will really make them scream. And uh, by God, I'm gonna, I'm really going to give it all my might. Yeah, yeah, sorry, I was trying <laughs> to read it, but yeah, it, it, because it, it goes beyond just like, oh yeah, I'm the pumpkin king. The song doesn't end there, it's I'm the pumpkin king. Oh, and I, I really got to make Halloween great now. Uh, yeah. And it's not out of like a responsibility, like, oh, I'm the pumpkin king. Let me go get my punch card in and make Halloween what it's supposed to be. Like it's, it, it, there's a passion and a zeal there that yeah. I, I think is great. Yeah, I'm, I'm completely with you on that. Uh, it's the fact that uh, I, if I'm going to be the pumpkin king, I'm going to be the best pumpkin king there is. Uh, <laughs> Which is odd because that is the same message that Megamind had, the animated wow. movie. <laughs> Fantastic uh, mention, by the way. I love Megamind. Yeah, that's a funny uh, animated movie. And it be- it's the beginning of it. It says, if I'm going to be the bad guy, I'm going to be the best bad guy I can be. <laughs> right. And I think that that's very important. Um, if, again, I, I think that's probably what you wanted to say, but the fact that a lot of people who resonate, this movie resonates with them as a kid is because we all have our own quirks and weirdness and stuff that we are unsure about in ourselves, which are not exactly, as I said, they're not flaws. I don't think, uh, for example, uh, the way I speak is a flaw. For example, it's something minor that might bug me a little bit. But it's part of who I am. And as long as I feel of it, think of it as a flaw or as something that I need to just sort of do out of obligation, I, can't, I need to just live with it, that, that will bring me more discomfort. No, you don't have to live with it. You need to learn to sort of love it, love that fact. You don't have to live with the fact that you love musicals because I live in a culture that really doesn't appreciate musicals. And I can be like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep this part of me hidden or just not do anything about it or find another thing, which as Jack did, 
But no, I, I, I love musicals and I want the world to know it. And I'm going to be the best uh, in loving musicals. Yeah, I, I think it's what I was saying that I said I would come back to is that I think about those individuals that I keep bringing up that would wear Jack Skellington on their clothes and on their decor in every way in school, not not at all 100%, but for the majority, it was the theater kids, which again, nothing against anybody or a theater <laughs> kid, but in my particular high school, the theater kids were kind of defined and, and the term theater kids meant weird people with lots of quirks and uniqueness that were yeah. kind of the, the outcasts not in like a prejudice type way, but they were just like really unique. And so they kind of had their own little click like high school is, I mean, high school. But the more I understand the film, I think that maybe that is what made this film so loved by them is that it was almost like a declaration of their acceptance of their quirks that like, hey, everybody else who's Christmas people, look at me, I, I'm Halloween and I accept that I'm Halloween yeah. and I'm okay with it. Uh, and I'm I'm all the creepiness and the weirdness and the gothicness of Halloween, and it's great. And maybe I'm going to get a little uh, too much into the ideas of the film here, but I think that that for them uh, was a, a great part of the film. Yes, and this is where Tim Burton's name needs to come up again, because for all um, intents and purposes, that kid is Tim Burton. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Like the way he looks, the way he talks, the way he makes movies, the way he tells stories, it's just so him. And the people he attracts to himself, Danny Elfman, Johnny Depp, Helena Bonham Carter, they are these um eccentric people, for lack of a better term, that yeah. you you can't have another Danny Elfman. There is a reason that I think, and I, I know a lot of people will hate me for this, I always think of Hans Zimmer, which is the big name in movie composers nowadays, as a watered-down version of the late Ennio Morricone. <laughs> the same way I think of Alexander Desplat as like a watered-down version of John Williams. But Great Danny Hansen. Elfman is just Danny Elfman. There is no Danny Elfman. <laughs> and so yeah, that's that's what I the same thing for Johnny Depp, the same thing for Helena Bonham Carter, the same stuff for Bo Welch, which was uh I think uh he set designer, which went on to do a lot of other stuff you've probably seen. He was very integral in a series of unfortunate events show oh. on Netflix. Makes sense. Yeah, that's the set set designer for a lot of Tim Burton movies. So that's why that show looked like that. And so he grabs all of these weird, unique people. And it's kind of sad that nowadays Burton is so uh, sadly corporate that he can't be himself anymore. But when he was himself, he made some amazing movies, man. He did, yeah. As someone who isn't, I wouldn't say I'm like a gothic person. Like, that would be one thing that I just is like, it's just one of those things that's just there. Like, oh, that's a Tim Burton movie. Like, that's just, anyway, I'm yeah. not explaining that well. Uh, 
if you're like me at all and you want a good explanation of what Ali is saying, go watch the movie Big Fish. It's a Tim Burton movie that I would never have guessed was made by Tim Burton, but it allows you to appreciate his idiosyncrasies without all the gothicness around it. Uh, And then to be able to take that appreciation and apply it to the gothicness that may be somewhere else and understand that. So, Uh, yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I also suggest this is very weird, but Ed Wood also sort of does that. But, since that is black and white and it's about a like very specific period of cinema history, I understand if not a lot of people want to watch that. Well, I'm excited to review that coming up. So subscribe again, shameless yeah. plug to the basement page. <laughs> no, no, uh, not not Edward Scissorhands, Ed Wood. Oh, I misunderstood you. Shamed plug now. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Ed Wood uh, is the movie that Burton made about Edward D. Wood Jr., the worst director in the history of cinema. <laughs> oh, I know what movie you're talking about now. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, it's a great movie, but uh, again, it's the same thing you said. Burton is both a visual uh, style and a storytelling style, and so sometimes the visual is just so overpowering that you kind of forget that, yeah, there is a, there is a reason behind those visual styles, which again, this is not supposed to be an episode on Burton, but I just want to mention this. Uh, unlike a lot of people, I don't think Sweeney Todd is a good representation of Burton, which I think it's a movie a lot of people that don't like Tim Burton say they love. Interesting. I, I haven't seen it, so I, I wouldn't know. Oh, uh, I... I do recommend it with the same with the tone is very important to you. I do recommend it, I guess. But it's at the same time, I think it's the least Burton-esque movie that bears his visual style. It's it's not a Burton movie. But yeah, that's a whole other idea. <laughs> okay. And for, for a shameless plug of my own, my next video is probably going to be about Sweeney Todd. Well, there we go. There we go. Yeah. Sorry for that. Oh, no. Just plug away. <laughs> plug away. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's, that's the stuff that sort of, when I, when, you, when I watch Nightmare Before Christmas as an adult, you and I sort of realize, yeah, now I understand Jack Skellington way better than I did as a kid. And it kind of makes me sad that I understand his feelings. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. It was interesting this is just kind of like my last point here with Fallen that you were talking about a little bit earlier about how Jack looks for like, he tries to overcome that apathy by looking somewhere else, which I thought was really interesting, especially if the way things line up in life, particularly with Fallen, just as a total sidetrack for listeners of the basement bench, I'm always impressed how this segment seems to, pull out truths that I need to hear with things that are pertaining in my life. Like, it's not just like, Oh yeah, here's these pleasant ideas that let's just like put out into the ether. It's like, they always come back and apply to me, which I find is amazing. Anyway, uh, here at the basin binge, I've really, I, I love doing the basin binge. I've been doing it for two years. Um, it's That's had good. some waxes and wanes through there. Uh, but it's reached a point where it, I want to say this the right way. I'm grateful for everybody who listens to the Basin Binge, but it's kind of plateaued in its growth that like I'm it's growing to where I'm still considered like a hobbyist, but it's not quite to the point where I can get to the next step. 
uh, but it's not quite at the step below. Like it's just like this weird in between. It's been kind of frustrating. And so I've been trying to find new ways to increase the growth and audience of the show. I've been posting a ton on social media and like trying to make TikTok videos, which are all good and well, but I got so focused on those ideas that I would just like consume content and get so anxious trying to figure out like, well, how can I do this? Like other people are doing it. Other people are being successful on TikTok, getting millions of views. Like, how can I do that? And while not to get into my own personal life, like while that may be something that I still do, I realized that like, hey, well, like I, I'm doing the basement binge not because I want to do TikTok. Like, like, like this, this, yeah. this difficulty or this, this not apathy, but just, just, just the difficulty or maybe a little bit of frustration that like, how can I make this any better? Uh, the solution isn't somewhere else. That there are resources and positive things that happen somewhere else that I will continue to use, but that it it, it reminded me and doing and recording this episode with you right now reminds me this is what I want to do. I, I don't want. I, I'm not doing this so that I can make TikToks. You know, <laughs> like yeah, if that makes sense. And, and so it just sometimes I think that we get so focused on like the solution is somewhere else instead of the solution being right here. And that there are things in life that you do outgrow and that solution or the next step is somewhere else. That's part of life. But yeah. I, for me at this point in my life, it was a good reminder. Well, accept the things around me and how I can contribute to the things around me and the things that I'm already involved in and how I have, how I can devote energy to contributing to that instead of trying to abandon this to contribute to something else, which I really didn't belong in in the first place. Um, I, I understand. Uh, I just wanted to say something uh, very stupid, but when you said there are resources there that I continue to use, um, I just wanted to say the same way that Jack did. He went into Christmas to get to quote himself, and I've got some ideas for Halloween and I'm gonna I have some ideas that's gonna make them scream. So he sort of used resources to make the oh, yeah. thing he was doing better. That's I just a good wanted point. to mention that. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, I love I love mention I love referencing movies and stuff like that. No, and it applies so well. I mean like that's the whole point of the segment, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. Particularly to apply I mean, I could just go back to that poor Jack. I think that song has incredible lyrics. I'm glad that you told me the name of it so I can go re-listen to it because it that, that really is a great scene. Uh, I just suggest just everyone buying the album too. Beside the movie, just buy the album too. <laughs> okay, is it is it just like uh like like just just music, right? Yeah, it's just music. It it doesn't have anything different other than the last poem I talked about, but uh, it's it's a it's a great album, I think, that because the songs are so good and they work so well. They really do. I mean, I'll yeah. have to look that up. And uh, the uh, the non-song musical numbers are also the musical compositions are also kind of fun. Is that the thing that's narrated by Patrick Stewart? Yes, yes, that's the. Narrative thing by Patrick Stewart. Okay, you mentioned it, and I saw some things mentioned it online. I'm like, what are they talking about? Patrick Stewart wasn't in the movie. <laughs> no, no, Patrick Stewart wasn't in the movie. He was only in the album for some reason. I'm kind of glad he wasn't in the movie. 
because the guy who did the narration at the beginning of the movie is the voice of Santa Claus. So it oh. actually worked better that way. Yeah, that actually works really well. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And oh. I'm just I just want to say this too because I've heard it from people and I just want to say it. If you look at this movie with uh your head saying that, oh yeah, there's a plot uh hole. How did they have all the doors in the middle of Halloween? And how did Jack come back to from that tiny door to the land of Halloween from the land of Christmas with all of those like trees and stuff. And if you think like that, I'm sorry to do, tell you that you're unable to experience joy and just let it go, man. Just let it Seriously. go. <laughs> yeah. It's not that important. It's a cartoon skeleton. If you can't understand that. Suspension of disbelief. Just enjoy it. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm saying it because... Uh, I also study cinema in uh, university and we had a lot of people like that. I don't want to speak ill of them behind their back, but mostly because I forgot their name, but (laughs) 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 they were like these people that look at, yeah, how did this do that? And I'm saying, well, he he found a portal. What, why do you care? It happened off screen and it's not important to the story. Yeah. Well, I don't have anything else to add in Fall In. I'm ready to reveal my rotten rating if you are. I am also. Okay, so we both, if you forgot, because we got distracted and we talked about many things. It's been a long episode. So thank you again, Ali. For yeah. Um, we both said that I was going to be the rotten, that Ali was going to like this more than me, that I was going to like it less. So we're both going to reveal our rating out of five in honor of Matt from Matt Goes to the Movies, a longtime friend of the show. We're going to do it out of five reels of five stars so five out of five reels what would you give it you can give it half reels if you want i'll let you go first so we can have a little drum roll to see if i'm actually wrong um well i'd go for four and a half out of five the half that i take down is purely for nitpicky stuff but there are stuff that i can't look past uh like issues with animation i'm not going to specify which scenes because I don't want to ruin anyone if they didn't notice it. I don't want them to notice it now. But it's four and a half out of five. But it's like a hell away from five out of five. Okay. Well, so Ali gives it a four and a half out of five. I am going to give it... Well, actually, let me say this first. Before the recording of this podcast, if I would have just watched the movie... And then literally had to give you a number out of five. I probably would have said like two and a half or three at the most. Three at the most. Because of this conversation that we've had, because of this podcast, I'm giving it a solid four out of five. Firmly, it's a four. Now, I don't know at one point if, if that is more of the movie or more of the conversation. It's honestly probably both combining. Because... The, the gothic style really isn't my thing. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying that it's negative. It's just not my thing. Uh, I'm not really a Halloween person either. So there's things about it that just like this, not for me, if that makes sense. And, and so I can appreciate them for what they are and how uh, personalized they are and how fitting they are for what they are. Um, but what I really do enjoy about the film is, of course, the music, the stop motion animation, which I'm a huge fan of. And then also this conversation we've been having about how emotional the film is and 
everything we talked about in Fallen and and how relatable Jack Skellington is and how powerful and important the journey he goes on is, which I don't think I would have said that before this conversation. So good job, Ali. You, you changed my mind. Well, Solid I'm glad me. I can't do that. So I am the rotten, but surprisingly not as rotten as I thought it would be. So just, just slightly, maybe like one day rotten, still, still fresh. Though. Yeah. A delicacy. In right. some places. Right. So I, I really do appreciate you being here, Ali. That that's all we've got for the podcast. This is our last segment. So I, I want to give you one last chance uh to mention anything you'd like, say anything that you'd like. Um because I really do appreciate well, you being here. Well, thank you for having me, first of all. This was extremely fun. Thank you for having me. And uh, I just want to say that uh just I, I I'm saying this sort of to you and anyone who might have have reservations about seeing it. But I'm sure and if it didn't happen, come back in a year and tell me that it didn't happen. But I don't think you're going to forget watching The Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> like, the fact that you watched it uh, as an adult in contrast to being a child... I don't think you're going to ever forget forget that. And that is what I meant by a, a lightning in a bottle. It it never happened again. It I doubt it will happen again. Everything had to be a certain way for the nightmare before Christmas to come out the way it did. And that's why it's special. That's why I think it makes so many people remember it. And over the even with the fact that it's a movie that is seemingly, and I'm saying it very like cynically, studio mindset for no one, managed to be for everyone. Wow, well said. Very well said. Thank you. And so uh, I think, and again, if, if I'm wrong, I'd say I don't remember anything. And you can come in a year and say I don't remember anything about that movie. But I doubt you'll forget watching The Nightmare Before Christmas anytime oh, not soon. At all. I, I said something earlier that I want to go back and, and re-pick my poison at the end of this episode in line with what you're saying. I originally said that it was a stream, that it was a movie that I would gladly watch again for the Halloween season. Um, but that if it wasn't available, I wasn't going to spend money on it. I take that back. Every Halloween, I'm going to make a habit of watching this. I don't think that I love it enough to watch it any other time. Again, just because of the Halloween-ness of it isn't really my thing. Um, I understand. But this is a Halloween movie for sure that I'm going to watch to enjoy the Halloween-ness of it, but also to enjoy everything else about the film that we've been talking about. I, I completely understand. This is a bit of a tangent, and I'm sorry, I know this episode has been long enough already. But <laughs> no worries. Uh, the thing you said about The Nightmare Before Christmas is it's a wonderful life for me. Uh, the movie is a wonderful life. It's a movie that I love. It's one of my top 100. It's the only movie that consistently has made me cry at the end of it. But I really can't watch it any time other than Christmas. It's right. like December 25. I'm saying, okay, let's watch It's a Wonderful Life. I, I, I can watch it, but it's like, yeah, but it only makes sense if we watch it on December 25th. Right. Like, 
any other time of the year, it doesn't work. Even though, as I said, it's the only movie that consistently has made me cry. So I have very high uh, expectations and high regard for it. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Ali, for being here. I know it was early in the morning for you. I appreciate you making it work. Um, well, thank I, you I for also, having me. Of course. I appreciate you helping me enjoy this movie as well. In addition to answering the questions that I've had about it genuinely for years, what is it that makes people love this movie? And I always just had a quick answer in my brain just to get the thought away that, oh, people just like it for the music. And at the end of this conversation, I now understand that, well, maybe that is a part of it. There is so much more about this film that makes it memorable and, and worthwhile. So thank you again for being here. Everything that Ali mentioned about his work that he's doing with on his YouTube channel and his podcast, uh, any other things that he may mention afterwards, social medias or any uh, emails, whatever, anything you want to give me to put in the notes, it will be there. Uh, So yeah. One last plug for you before we close out here. Well, um, as I said, I have a YouTube channel called AK 88 studios. Um, and, if you again, I'm I'm trying my best there, but I'm a one man operation. So uh, do check it out if you can and give me feedback. I definitely need feedback. And I have a podcast called The Last Thoughts of a Busy Mind. I do have other projects as well, but I'm not going to plug them because many of them are in hiatus. So uh, these two are the ones that I'm trying my best in. <laughs> Well, they definitely will be linked. I'm excited to check them out in addition to all the films you recommended. And I'm definitely going to have to have you back on the show at some point because well, this was a blast. Thank you. I, I would love to if you'd have me again. Of course. Of course. So thank you for being here. Thank you, everybody, for listening for this entire episode. Enjoy the Halloween episodes that are coming. I mentioned Coraline, Edward Scissorhands. Paranorman, if you want to give me your insights of the film, you're more than welcome to come join me as a guest. Send me an email, bingebasement at gmail.com. If you don't want to be a guest, but if you just want to share some thoughts, you can follow me on social media, whether that's on Facebook, Instagram, Letterboxd. Go ahead and comment. Let me know what you think of those films, and I'll include your thoughts in the reviews coming up. But once again, this is The Basin Binge. My name is Harrison, and that's all for now. Ciao, ciao. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. 
new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay.